The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast, Happy New Year, Adam. Happy to be sitting down with you, getting ready to talk about Brewers baseball, and the Brewers will play in this calendar year. Spring training is what, a month and a half away? A little more than that. Uh, And I look forward to it. I look forward to Brewers winter warm-up, which is on the horizon for me as well and I'm sure many other Brewers fans and listeners out there. But before we get into all that, grade the outfield, talk about yet another move around the edges that the Brewers have made. How does 2024 find you, Adam? Yeah, it finds me well. Things are going going well so far. Uh, Happy New Year to all our listeners. I hope everyone had a a nice Christmas. We We didn't record an episode over that period. You know, we could have, we might have. The Brewers didn't really give us any reason to. So... Here we are now. And yeah, as you said, changing the calendar year, particularly with baseball, you feel like, all right, it's nearly it's nearly go time. And that's a cause for excitement and some apprehension with the Brewers as well. But also, look, another year means hey, we'll, we'll both see the Brewers again in person this year too. There's, there's lots to look forward to. But exactly what it will all look like still reigns somewhat undecided. 
Yeah, the hot stove still remains at a slow, slow simmer. A Lucas it is, Gilio it is not here. Hot. It is not hot. <laughs> it, the stove has been cold. Some food is being produced anyway, but the stove is cold. Yeah, I'm thinking, um, you know, we, everyone was blaming Otani and Yamamoto. They got signed weeks ago at this point. Can't blame them anymore. I think the players to blame now, if what I'm getting from National Media Podcast Roundup is, is it's time to blame the Boris clients, the Matt Chapmans of the world. Uh, who else is he uh, represent? I think Montgomery is another Boris client. So those guys. Now, it's shifted to that. Once they sign, it's really going to pop off. I think it's just going to be slow trickle, slow trickle, slow trickle. We've got a deadline for one player. I think Shote uh, Imanaga needs to sign by January 11th because that's his posting window. So it's just going to be one name after the other. Up, oh, Lucas Giolito to the Red Sox. So Chris Sales trade to the Braves. And it's just going to be like, it's like an advent calendar in the most boring way possible. And the Brewers seem to be making moves that are not even on the calendar. They're just separately. They're like buying single pieces of candy, uh, which transitions us into. Can I uh, can I say something news. just just before that? This yeah. is my my third off season. I don't yeah I don't re- remember ever the moment where like it starts to happen. It's always slow. Think... It's always boring, and always it seems like less happens than you expect, and then the season starts. It's like the trade deadline. Yeah, stuff happens at the trade deadline, and we're maybe even slightly more conditioned to that because the Brewers have have made some, you know, meaningful deals, some not so meaningful deals, but they consistently give us stuff to talk about around that time. But one of your off seasons was the uh, the lockout off season. Sure, that was so last year, right? That's part of it. But they are there's never or. There, there are years, um, where it's like winter meetings has a little bit of flurry of activity. Like I remember the year, probably a decade ago or more at this point, where like the Marlins did their big buys, where they got Jose Reyes and Mark Burley and Heath Bell, and I think one of the or two of those was a trade, and it all happened like at the winter meetings, I think, or thereabouts, and like that was the talk of the day. But you're right, like unlike the NBA, there's no like all right, the calendar and the clock flips to this point and things just start to happen and they happen and they happen and they happen and then there's the dead period. And, you know, I think that is partially because the union, for good reason, would never be in favor of having some sort of deadline that would, in their minds, artificially uh, depress markets if, you know, they lose leverage because they had to sign by this point. I think that's really what it is. So, like, I, I don't see any solution coming down the line where something like this is going to happen. I know Ken Rosenthal has proposed things like uh like a trade window or something. So at least like that business has to get done. But then again, uh, as we know, like the trade market can be influenced by what's happening on the free agent market. So you just create all kinds of things that people would complain about. And so it's just as a fan who you want things to talk about, uh, I guess it's been good for, some fans because you know the, the Dodgers are doing like one move a week that uh, blows you away and you can be excited about it but for the Brewers we're just like can we get a first baseman already like we no, were expecting it two weeks ago it's it's good for podcasting because the flip side is, is the NBA where everything happens at once and then you've got three to four months until the season starts and there's no more deals coming true like they're they're done so from the kind of the absolute trickle 
that we deal with here. It's like, oh, well, we've got a player we're possibly never going to talk about again in the podcast this week. Another player, you know, I'm not using that as a specific example for this week. That could be true. It just, it, it's like, that's kind of how it plays out. My thing, and I could be completely wrong on this, but I'm going to throw it at you. You talk about the union, you talk about they'd never want an artificial deadline. Artificial deadlines exist in all sports. That's the start of your season. And then it's the start of spring training. And the closer you get to that, like in terms of team building, in terms of making sure you are ready, you're going to be the best team possible for a new season. That's like, that's the incentive to get business done early always is to have a vision and be able to build your roster to fit that vision and then go and try and win baseball games. To me, part of it feels like the difference is that baseball to me feels like an owner's sport. It's an owner's league. Martin, uh, for all the eye-watering sums the players get, that's very much for the few, you know? And it's, yeah, if you're Shohei Itani, life is great. But when business is kind of slow for everyone and slow for everyone and slow for everyone, that does put a squeeze on. And I think ultimately the winners out of that may well be the owners because you'll get guys on cheaper deals because all of a sudden you're closer to the season starting and just things have to start moving and it's a different kind of conversation where I think like the part of it maybe even just like built into expectations of media how it's how it's covered but to make the comparison again it's to some extent it's apples and oranges but like NBA free agency like they almost the uh, New Year's Eve-esque countdown to that and the idea that deals come in straight away and it's like this kind of trolley dash if you want to get your players. It's like all these guys are going to go if you're not there, if you're not on the starting line of time, forget about it. I think in creating the opposite, it depresses the market for players and at a certain point it's kind of like are they all in it together, Andrew? Are they all are they all perfectly cool with this kind of slow pace? Because I do think ultimately it's probably payrolls that benefit. And that's uh, I think baseball ownership generally I, I find it to fall that way. It's like the absolute superstars, they get paid, they get paid very, very handsomely, as well or better than anyone else in the world of sports. But as you kind of you take the steps down from that, it can be a colossal, colossal drop-off. And I don't think this kind of weeks and months of kind of dragged out where where is player x going to be next particularly as we are now past like the biggest fish that were available i don't think that's necessarily gonna gonna benefit the majority salary you might get to a certain point where when the movement does start a position is drying up a team has a need and you've got to go out and you've got to overpay for someone but like, this feels like it being so slow feels like an opportunity for some teams to go out and be like, hey, let's just go for it. Let's just do some business. And that doesn't happen either. So I I don't know. I find it increasingly interesting three years into this. But I also, I think it's differences from other sports are worth noting too. Is it To me, it does kind of indicate something about where power lies in baseball compared to some other sports. Uh I disagree with part of what you're saying because I think a lot of what MLB free agency is marked by is mediocre players getting absurd dollars. Like guys like Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson getting like $20 million a year just to be Homer factories. Um, And the piece about uh, the union and the agents being really against any kind of artificial deadlines. uh, 
uh, was part of a podcast I can't remember uh, around the Shohei Otani deal that Ken Rosenthal did, where he was talking about the unions and the agents have been against both the deadlines and the amortization of con- contracts. Uh, they don't want that to go away either for whatever reason. That could be him being a mouthpiece for the owners. I have no idea where he's getting that in- intel, but that's just where um, I got that piece from. Um, but th- I think it's it-, it serves to your point like a certain a certain group of players upward and then the owners, it's not going to serve um, random bit part infielder X who's just waiting for Matt Chapman to sign and waiting for Reese Hoskins to sign so he can figure out where he fits into this thing or uh, backup catcher X. Cause I mean, we see the deals that Eric Haas and Tucker Barnhart are going on. It's like basically they have to pay the teams they're playing to, to, to play for them. So um, I think a team like a the Brewers uh could be served a little better to be aggressive early in this market and maybe get one of the few remaining like impact bats on a high annual value uh short deal, and they haven't done it. Um, so that that's a little curious as Corbin Burns still remains a Brewer, which I guess should transition us into the second part of this conversation, which is. Once again, any kind of reporting or discussion around Corbin Burns is basically flip-flopped back and forth depending on the day, depending on who's reporting it. And I, I think everything has leaned more towards, oh, the Brewers plan on keeping him. I don't think the Brewers know for sure what they're going to do. I think, uh, once again, they're still playing the cards close to the vest. Ship doesn't leak, and anyone reporting anything is really just speculating based on, A, what they're getting from other teams and agents, not what they're actually getting from inside you know, <laughs> Brewers uh, headquarters, we'll call it. Um, has your opinion shifted over not what they should do, because I think we're on the same page of, about that, that they should cash in and, and recoup whatever value they can get this offseason. Um, I guess, has your opinion changed on what they will do as the market is indeed at a standstill and other guys have been traded, Tyler Glass now, Chris Sale, different cases in both cases, but... Horton Burns is still a brewer. I'd just like them to be more proactive. And I, I don't just mean that in a way of like, I'm a fan, I'm bored, I want a signing, I want to trade. I mean, that's that how in, I mean it. I'm, I mean, in their team that has business to do, like they have to do business quite clearly to get themselves in the best position for the new season. And the best position for the new season could be that it is the start of a rebuild, it's a mini rebuild. It could be that you're pushing chips in, you're going to go a little bit harder and trying to win because this is your last season with Corbin Burns, like depending on what you do with that. But they're kind of just sitting on their hands, it feels like. I'm I'm not saying that Matt Arnold isn't undoubtedly working the phones and taking calls and making calls, but the Brewers were a team that this, to me, didn't feel like it should have been a, a passive offseason. It's like you were a team with all of the motivation to go and be active and put yourself in the center of things. It's even like we talk about all of the waiting games, all the holding patterns that have existed around baseball because of so many guys. I can tell you one team who wasn't in the mix for any of those guys, and it's the Milwaukee Brewers. So that's your time to pick up guys around the fringes, guys who aren't waiting either for the calls. They don't think that way. Where can you find value and how can you get a deal done early? I mean, that wasn't really done. And certainly not at some of the greatest positions of need. So 
my opinion hasn't changed on what they should do with Corbin because I think it's just like I don't think it can change. It's very much um my view of this situation from a team building perspective with what's left on his contract with who else is on the roster and who isn't is get the most you can get for that guy cash in now you're in a position where you could be ready to you know make this a pretty painless process not a year is long not a major step back i would be trading him and i would try to get one to two good prospects a good player who can contribute now and if you could get any kind of package that looks like that i'm making that deal um and in part because it just allows you to like to move on right to just to start really planning to the future in a different way where you're kind of working on two tracks right now but it's not because you've certainty in that well we've got this for this season we want to develop this alongside it it's more you don't actually know which is going to be your primary look for the upcoming season and as close as we are to that now i don't love that i just i'd like to see some more decisiveness some more proactiveness and the brewers do what the brewers need to do i get there's an element of it which is who's going to miss out and who's going to be desperate what if nobody decides they're desperate what if nobody wants to go in and make the move or give an offer that you feel is suitable or is worth not just keeping Corbin Burns then you just fall into oh we have him because we didn't get what we want that's I don't know it just feels too reactive and I think when you're a small market team and when you're dealing with minimal budget you should be trying to strike around the fringes when everyone else is kind of you know staring in at the tank where all the big fish are gathered making their decisions and if you're not going to do that, then do something to meaningfully upgrade the offense if you're going into 2024 with Corbin Burns in your rotation. Because like we've talked about, ad nauseum, is that the word? Um, mm-hmm. uh, if Corbin Burns is on your 2024 roster, you need to. the goal needs to be he starts a playoff game for you, not you flip him at the deadline. That would just that the prospect of a Corbin Burns playoff game doesn't sound great hey, after the last he, one, but you're 100 right. In that's, what you gotta aim, that's what you got to aim for. Um, yeah. Um, that being said, like if he's on your team, you need to you need to say I'm going to win the NL Central because I mean, has anything that's happened in that division uh, inspired much confidence? I mean, the Cardinals signed Sonny Gray, good deal. Lance Lynn, sorry, $11 million a year to be a, a, a homer factory. Kyle Gibson, $13 million a year to be a homer factory. Maybe another year decline from Arredondo and Goldschmidt. And, you know, not much else they've done. Uh, Cincinnati, Jamer Candelaria, who I like. I didn't think corner infield was a position of need for them. So very strange there. Uh, Nick Martinez, who I like, fine. Frankie Montas, who might be broken, doesn't scare me. Cubs have overpaid for a manager and not really done much else. They'll probably overpay for Bellinger. I mean, I'd who... be losing. If we were a Cubs spot, I think we'd be losing our mind. Oh, yeah, for sure. The council hire is this great big symbolic thing. And, you know, in theory, he's going there for a reason. And then you, you're not able to get anything meaningful done. I mean, we won't relish in it just yet, but like we're stressing about where the Brewers are right now, they were supposed to have much bigger goals on their mind, I feel like. And it's not happening yet. 
yeah, there are a lot of different ways that they can go, and I think they need to do a few of these. Other otherwise, it's not going to be happy times at Wrigley. Uh, they need to bring Strowman back. They probably, I mean, they're probably going to be a team that overpays for Chapman or or uh, Bellinger, and I like Chapman, but you know he's he's always a guy who you think just reputationally is a better hitter than he actually is when you dig into his numbers. Um, obviously, great defensive third baseman, although some of those metrics I think started to trend the opposite direction last year, but I think he's only like 30, 31. So whoever gets him, if it's like three or four or five-year deal, eh, probably be fine. Um, but yeah, we'd be melting down if we were supposed to be the big bad Cubs who are making a splash at manager, got uh, daddy Tom Ricketts' money, and uh, we're, we're here to play. And so far, nothing. Yeah, we'll see. Like you said, we're not dancing on any graves yet. This is a long game. This Craig Council thing is going to be a long game at a thing that we have to talk about, uh, at least in some regard, every season as the Brewers go head to head with with the Cubs. And we hope, you know, we hope that era of Jackson Chorio produces a lot of head to head battles uh, in the division race. Um, maybe the yeah, Cubs Pirates just suck. Are still there. Maybe maybe they're not in the head to head at all. Like right now. The Reds. Reds are a better team. I like the Reds more than I like the Cubs. Yeah, as do I. Um, the Reds. Uh, the Reds uh, said, I think uh, Nick Crawl the other day. It might have been the owner. Can't remember. Said basically that their big business is done. So that team is what it might be. Although a Jonathan India trade is always a possibility with them. Much to the dismay of Kirk Herbstreit, who attacked uh, the Athletic writers when they he's they even suggested it trading the heart and soul of the team last season um so that that was a good bit you know anytime you can get irate about a mediocre defensive league average bat you got to do it adam um yeah uh i guess i don't have too much more on what's happening because it's not happening and therein lies our frustration it's thesis statement if you're going to hang on to corbin burns do something about the offense yeah at least at least in the like this type of player uh, on a corner infield bat. Like, you need someone that's going to provide you the production that a Mark Canna and a Carlos Santana provided you after you got them at the deadline last year. Go spend big on a one-year deal. Like, go take a flyer, and it could be a terrible flyer, and we could be laughing at it. I don't think we'd give Mark Anasio the crap that we give him if we saw that kind of vision, which is, okay, well, the trade doesn't come around we're going to have Corbin Burns one more year. Let's, let's take a flyer at something, you know, in a, in a kind of like, I don't know, like I guess in what Cody Ballinger was for the Cubs last year. Right. Yeah. Uh, just there is risk to this, but if it worked out, the upside could be significant enough that we got a great Corbin Burns season. We had a really strong piece and let's go and see where that takes us. Like, that that should be the thought process. And no one's being like, well, you got Corbin Burns, you gotta go and if you're keeping him one more season, you gotta do something like that completely reprograms all ideas of what the team building is. I don't want that. I think they're very well positioned. I like a lot of what's going on. But yeah, if he's there, don't don't let that be what you go into your season for, just for it to be likely a middling season and then I think middling right now would be generous. I think just first base is 
I mean, we could we could just we can extend that honestly to the infield in general. Um, it's problem. It's a real problem. Um, we probably should have done infield grades, knowing that I'd say something. Like I mean, that we can do whatever that. we want out of this. No, is, we'll uh... do. I have my outfield <laughs> grades ready, but um, yeah, I'd have major major concerns over. I mean, we keep talking about first base. Andrew, do you feel good about third base? Uh. If Tyler Black is the opening day third baseman, I feel okay about it. I don't feel I, great I, about I it feel just because exci- we've never seen him get a major exactly. league at bat. I yeah. feel excited about that, but I can't say I feel good about it because I'm. he looks like a very good player. I'm sure he will be a very good player, and I think he'll do very good things. But we saw all of, like, Sal Free, like Joey Weimer, Bryce Tarang do very good things, and we also saw them have meaningful struggles. It's like, that's... That's tough, particularly if you don't have like a proven first baseman. So, like, I'm excited for that to be the reality, but I'll feel better about it if there's a real first baseman. You're like, okay, you've got something there. Because even as it is, like, we're going to see a lot of Bryce Terang, and I'm, I'm for that, and I hope he figures it out. But if he's not figuring it out, and then you don't have a real first baseman, you don't have a real third baseman. I, I alluded to this again a couple weeks ago i don't know what it is i'm not buying the you andrew monasterio producing like he did last year this year i don't know what that is it just feels like he's a utility guy bench guy bench but it also just feels like that might have been you know lightning in a bottle to some extent oh it was a a lot of what he did i don't feel like oh that's who he is and he's gonna come back and be that guy next year um so he's Owen Miller that will take a pitch. <laughs> That's who he is. Like that makes me feel like there really is nothing at third either until there's something at first. Because you I can't even just be like, oh well, there's Tyler Black because it's like, God, well they could do it like two Tyler Blacks to play bow corner infield spots at this point if nothing else is happening, and they don't have that. So listen, if they cloned him and played him at both spots, that'd That'd be inventive. I would give them credit for thinking outside the box. We have a deadline here today due to work constraints, so I need to be going to host mode. And we quickly tracking well. We're tracking okay. Uh, Okay, you know, you know, I get paranoid at them about most things. I know. I don't want Uh, you to get too spooked on us to be done in ten minutes. We don't need to do that. Yeah. Okay. We'll leisurely transition to some actual news. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Uh, the Brewers have acquired left-handed reliever Brian Hudson uh, from the Los Angeles Dodgers for Justin Chambers and a player to be named later or cash. Hudson, 26, made his big league debut out of the pen, I think against the Giants in 2023, appeared in six games out of the bullpen, allowed seven runs in eight and two-thirds innings, so not much of a sample size, um, but it was a struggle at the big league level. However, in AAA at Oklahoma City, 55 and two-thirds innings, uh, 2-4-3 ERA, struck out 35% of the batters he faced, uh, a six-foot-eight uh, left-hander, as we mentioned, uh, fastball sits at 92, tops out at 96, uh, great extension. Uh, because of that, you know, height and the length of his arms, we assume. Uh, so kind of a fastball that plays harder than it is to the hitters in the batter's box. Also throws a cutter, which sits in the mid-80s, and a sweeping slider. Um, yeah, another bullpen flyer. He's got options, which is crucial to a bullpen with not a lot of guys that uh, have options if uh, most of the guys that were here last year returned. Um you know, an arm with some upside into the mix for 2024 and potentially beyond. Matt Arnold likes guys that throw gas at him. He likes guys that strike guys out, and he likes tall guys. So this is, uh, you know, another two, two out of three ain't bad. tally in that ledger. Say that again. Two out of three ain't bad in this case, I guess. Yeah, we'll take it. Um. Yeah, but I mean, the numbers look really good from Oklahoma City last year. Someone who can strike out at that rate has an obvious appeal. Got you know meaningful innings in and pitched very well. I do. It's very small sample size. I do have some concerns though because when you see someone who's that kind of dominant, like he's that that reliable in AAA, and then a taste of major league action, and it's like the guy just absolutely died a stage fright. Um, that's not great, but that could just be, you know, it's a bad week. The the nerves of, you know, your first taste of the majors got to him. I'll trust the Brewers on what they've seen because they will have watched a whole lot more to make this decision than I have. Um, but yeah, look. He's a I foot sh- taller than Clayton Andrews. Well, uh, if you're saying, do I want him or do I want Clayton Andrews? I'm sorry, Clayton Andrews, <laughs> but Brian Hudson is my is my choice. We'll see. We'll see. It's again another one of these pitching flyers. I this could be something that we ultimately look at and be like, wow, what a bargain that was. He could be one of the finds 
who becomes a really, really key contributor. I definitely think that's possible. Maybe more possible than some of the other names that have been in the mix so far this offseason. But yeah, we'll have to see. There is... It's funny if he had never had a single appearance in the big leagues. I think we'd be much more excited about this, uh, even though the sample size is so small. It just, just kind of dampens my excitement a little bit. Adam, we get you to the pitching lab. We get you behind some of the monitors. They've uh, got the electrodes hooked up to them. Actually, I think it's more just... Uh, the What are those cameras called? Do you know what those cameras called that are... Oh, I can't remember. Um, they're like... Very small. It's what they. I don't know. I'll, I'm gonna Google it afterwards. Sometimes oh, I watch they, like they uh, called very small cameras. Yeah, they're that. The very small cameras. Micro cameras um, is it? <laughs> damn, it's like Edgetronic or something. I can't remember. Okay. Um, I think you're just doing uh, free ads, like because they would be called very small cameras, but you're just branding this up. I'm trying. I'm trying to get a sponsorship so I can record my bullpen so I throw it in the backyard. Cruise uh, for brews like, uh, coming to you in video format. Uh, courtesy of like 100 mini cameras placed around Andrew and I as we record. It's just going to be like a really well edited video of me throwing a bullpen and then you see like 71 miles per hour pop up on the radar gun. Um, I guess that takes us to outfield grades, Adam. Are you ready to to walk through the grass with me? Something sure we've done am. before together. We've walked through we the have. outfield grass. We have. Um, uh, so we'll do what we did. Every week, alternating down, I'll start, and we'll do this by bats again. Um, can I ask? Can I ask? Because this is, we probably should have done this before we started. We're getting into, you know, there's some utility guys who play outfield, play infield. I have, I have nine names, I believe, here, with two who will be probably incompletes. Um, but to be more specific, I'm putting Mark Canna in this group. Are you on Mark Canna outfielder? I had uh, Mark Canna, and I also included Jesse Winker, just because if he were to have played a defensive position, he would have been in the outfield. And also, for the at-bats to where I was not marking it an incomplete, I stopped with Blake Perkins. Yeah, I mean, I have two more on my list that I have as incompletes that I think we'll talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. All right, we're on the same page. Great. Uh, starting with uh, Christian Yelich, the main man for the Brewers. Um, left field, obviously. Uh, played a better defense than I thought he had played in the previous season. Uh, it, it lined up with that in terms of the metrics, even though he was not a goal glove finalist this year. It's just Because, wild. you know, how those things <laughs> work out, we'll never know. Uh Portions during the middle of the season where Yelly looked back, he was just getting opposite field base hits, pulling homers, and uh, just looked like he was back to being his old self. Obviously, missed some games here and there due to injury, but was ultimately reliable. 144 games played, 278 batting average, uh, 818 OPS, uh, 19 homers, 76 runs driven in, leadoff hitter. Um, guy you know reliably getting on base compare that to 2022 where he uh, had a 738 ops and a 355 obp and 383 slug so improved uh in every area there um 
Yelich is someone that's tough to grade because you say, am I judging him based on his past or am I judging him based on what my expectations were I'm going uh, or for him going into the season? Uh, so, it, you know, it's kind of a little bit of both, but for what I expected from Yelich and what he was able to provide, uh, especially during those middle portions of the season where we were having the is Yelich bash conversation, uh, I actually, I went with a B plus, but I almost talked myself into an A minus kind of the, the issue for me was just not being able to, to sustain it. There was a drop off in periods, but I thought Yelly produced a really valuable season for the Brewers, a bounce back season. And if he's able to replicate this for the next few years and provide this kind of uh, production in a leadoff role, I think Brewers fans should be really happy with what they're getting from Yelich. And I still still think he just seems to be a valuable part of this organization, even if he never fully returns back to MVP level. And, you know, I'm just don't don't talk about the contract. Uh, Yelich earned it, and uh, he's still a valuable member of this team. Yeah, Yelly's an A- minus for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think that in spite of, like, the peaks, I, I don't think the downs were all that bad. You know, I compared to what has been something of the story for him in recent years, I think he generally managed to find a pretty steady, consistent level. I think having the second best OPS of any kind of really regular, meaningful contributor on the team behind William Contreras is pretty reflective. I know it's not a high bar in this in this particular team. Um, but if you'd said before the season that Yelly would play good defense, I really do think he played good defense last year, would have an above 800 OPS and just be a much steadier and even a healthier presence. Like he, he did have kind of a couple spells. I think was generally very healthy last year. You cannot grade Yelich relative to what the ultimate version of Christian Yelich was. For me, it has to be on what did we expect from him? He couldn't come back and give us the same season and expect an A minus again from me next year. Um, but I do think for where we were coming from and for what he delivered in 2023, I think he deserves to just scrape into that A category. And because, like you mentioned, the defense and you led with that, and I've said it again, I do, I really think he was good. I don't think that should be kind of underestimated either. Would we like to see a little bit more power, a little bit more pop? Would it be nice to see him rather than just falling below 20 homers be a guy who's up around 30 homers? Absolutely. That would be great. Maybe we can get there this year. Um, but this team really needed, particularly because some of the pop went, they actually needed consistent bats. And over the course of the year, the numbers bear out that Yelly was a consistently good bat. So, yeah, I give him a lot of credit for that because he's had a he's had a tough road to get to a season like that. Now the question is, can he sustain that, or hopefully, can he actually get better and can he move closer to what was his peak? So an A-minus for Christian Yelich. That brings us to one of the rookies, one of the freshmen, Joey Weimer. Adam, I turn it over to you. I I found this difficult. I honestly, I, this whole, did the outfield in general, because, I mean, it's rookie heavy, I think is kind of tough. Um, I think Weimer did some really nice things, particularly on the defensive side, and he had his moments offensively, and then it's, very well documented that he struggled mightily as the year went on. 
obviously ending the year in Nashville too. Um, having said that, he had the second most at bats on the team in the outfield. He really, like, he put in a pretty significant workload. And given he was something of a surprise that even he was the guy who found himself on the roster when he did for opening day. I think where we all thought he found the pecking order of the freshman. I feel like he was asked to do a lot and to do too much and kind of the situation dictated that the fact that he was very durable, even when he was getting taken out and kind of blindly chasing after balls in the outfield, Joey Weimer would kind of reliably come back up and be, you know, I'm fine with his typical like Labrador energy that he runs around out there with. I'm going to go, I, you know, I'm going to even, I'm going to up it slightly from what I had it before I started. I'm going to go with a C because I think there's a lot here that was not good, but he is a rookie. And I do think he was asked to do way too much for what's ideal for his development and for what his first season would look like. I think that should be factored in along with just what would be, you know, general rookie struggles or any idea of a rookie wall. Um, I wouldn't be too harsh on his first season. I haven't been. I've been pretty consistent on that. But it is important that we see major progress once he gets the opportunity in year two. Yeah, I had a C as well. Um, like you said, there's, I think, uh, <laughs> to a large degree, uh, the outfield uh, rookies and soon-to-be second-year guys we're talking about are guys that you and I have been rooting for as they represent kind of our era of Milwaukee Brewers baseball and like us coming to this team. So there's a little bias there is that we, in that we want these guys to succeed with Joey for me. uh, Like I have, you know, I have questions and concerns like anyone about what he will be going forward and whether or not he will be able to quiet down that swing in a way that he can make consistent contact consistent hard contact in the air as well because if if he does that you're looking at a guy that could be a very exciting player obviously he hit lefties relatively well i think ops in the 800s against lefties um so you can imagine him settling into a platoon role if if he can figure something out uh great defense in any spot you wanted to put him um whether i think he was uh a 93rd percentile for range and outs above average 96th percentile for arm value and 89th percentile from sprint speed. So, you know, what you're getting with Joey in the outfield, he's going to go track down balls and make plays. Also thought he was kind of thrust into a situation probably before he was ready, definitely before he was ready because of Luis Arias's injury. And then he came out and, you know, he showed up every day. And like you said, ended up in Nashville at the end of the season. It was tough in spurts, but not a guy I'm ready to completely give up on. And a guy that, um, I think, uh, you know, provided some flashes that are encouraging for 2024 and beyond and some, you know, things that need to be improved on. But uh, I landed at a C for Joey Weimer. I think the Brewers kind of need, he has like the most wild man energy out of this younger group too, that he could be a wild card, that there will be ups or downs, but that if he could find the, find consistency at a higher level, I think the the highs of what Weimer could do and maybe what the upside would be is something that is a little bit different to 
what you would project out the best version of Sal Freelich or the best version of Garrett Mitchell or even the best version of Jackson Churio, who's a completely different player doing a whole lot more. But I just think in terms of style and I think maybe even to some extent personality, Weimer's kind of an interesting party in the mix that I think the Brewers should have reason to really want him to figure it out. I think that could be more valuable than a lot of people necessarily think when they're just like, oh, well, he's really struggled to hit and just forget about him. There's other guys. I think for having a really healthy and a more varied profile to your team, I think the Brewers could really do with Weimer working it out. And being someone who maybe if he did work it out, he's he's going to lean more towards being someone with a bit more pop, a little bit more power than some of the other guys. Honestly, put uh, Mitchell in that category as well. Um, I think Weimer and Mitchell are the two high variance guys. And then you've got Sal there in the middle where you, you like think mm-hmm. you know what he is. But we can talk about that when we get to Sal. Um, Tyrone Taylor next on the board for me. Um, a guy that honestly you and I had written off several times on this podcast saying, you know, it's no more Tyrone Taylor. We don't need to see him again. We know what he is. And. You know, I think that's partially true. He's now a New York Met, um, not in the Brewers organization anymore. Um, I went with a C-plus for Taylor, um, partially because of those low expectations I had and then what he brought them in a time of need, along with uh, Mark Canna and Carlos Santana. Taylor, to a degree, felt like a midseason acquisition because of when he performed at his best. Uh, hit, hit well in August and September slash early October regular season last year, his eight of his 10 home runs coming in August or September, I believe, uh, and hit 271, 291 in those months. And uh, after having issues with his elbow, I believe it was, and really, really struggling in his 72 at-bats in May, then missing some time, came out to close this uh, the season strong and have a strong second half. So, uh, for the low expectations I had going in and for the pop he provided for his back half of the season, I went with a C-plus for Tyron Taylor. I went B-minus. Um, I, like, just frankly did not like watching Tyron Taylor play, like, coming into last season. I was just kind of very much over it. I think you put that in what was maybe a slightly kind way relative to my feelings, at least about Tyron Taylor and the Brewers. Um, not entirely his own fault. I think, I think I found the, the level of excitement or optimism that maybe fans who had been watching him throughout his career with the Brewers and had been watching from the point where, you know, Tyron Taylor could have been anything that that was still being carried when he was clearly past that. I found that a little grating. And you see him go out there and yeah, there are these moments where he's on and he can really hit. And there are other moments where it's just, it's lifeless. It's flat. Um, To Tyrone Taylor's great credit, he showed up in a big way second half of the season when he kind of worked his way back into the mix. And like the Brewers finished the regular season pretty strong to go and win the division and do it in a pretty stress-free way. Tyron Taylor was a big part of that being a reality, though. And if he wasn't necessarily performing at the level he was or having not just big hits, but homers, he was certainly one of their most reliable home run threats late. Uh, maybe maybe the run into the postseason wouldn't have been so stress-free. 
Maybe that benefited them. I don't know. That's not on Tyrone Taylor, though. I think he delivered. So B minus for Tyrone Taylor. Wow, the Braves just signed Chris Sale through 2026. I, I saw it. I thought that was <laughs> interesting. Uh, I'll keep my comments on that offline, which yeah. uh, only you were privy to. Um, I had to drop it in the Discord, though, because the 1% to the Atlanta Braves Foundation always just you know makes everyone chuckle. Um, so let me re- reset myself, uh, turning it back over to you, uh, one of our, uh, other, uh, freshman outfielders who we are so thoroughly invested in, Adam, I give you Sal Freelick. Sal's numbers are a little underwhelming when you kind of zoom out and you look at the hole considering just how good the good was. Uh, but I'm taking a very similar approach that I did with Weimer. I also, I think Sal, Sal was a little unlucky in some regards, and it, it could have gone a little bit better. I, I'm saying a B for him. I think the highlight moments defensively were some of the best of the year for any Brewer, just incredible highlights. The way that we talk about in terms of you know, maybe Brian Hudson didn't like the limelight when he got up there. Uh, Sal Freelich loved the limelight. Sal Freelich was all about the moment. And I do think that's generally a good sign when someone can come up and kind of announce themselves in the way that he did. There is a lot there. I think there's a lot there in terms of offensively that he's going to need to work out. We're going to need to see consistently. And to see a full season is going to be interesting too, because... He didn't have the, you know, the element that factors in for Joey Weimer, where Weimer is just kind of there all season, putting in like real workman's like numbers in terms of just logging games, logging at bats. So with Freelich, hopefully we're going to see real positive as he does get more at bats, as we see him with a full season. I think there's everything to love about Sal Freelich. I really think he's legit and is of this group. He is the one we should have least concerns about. Um, the grade might be slightly generous overall for what his season rounds out as, but I do think he delivered moments and the best of him was certainly deserving of being in that kind of B category. Yeah, I went B minus, uh, just because, uh, I, uh, had him in the same kind of realm as Tyrone Taylor in terms of the amount that they played, obviously, a lot of that's not his fault because I think if he does not have his thumb injury the same time that Garrett Mitchell uh, has his long-term injury, I think Sal Freelich gets called up from that moment, and we're talking about a much larger sample size of what Sal is at the major league level. Obviously, when he made his debut, um, just was an electric player to watch in the outfield uh, on the base paths. And just displays such great patience at the plate. That's one thing uh, that I love about Sal's game. Uh, like you said, w- what we're expecting from him moving forward is patience and contact. And will the power develop? We don't know, but there is a floor there because of those two skills and his uh, exceptional defense. Uh, I had MLB Network on in the back. Excuse me, I haven't done that in a while. In the background of a work day uh, the other day, and uh, I was reminded of the catch at Yankee Stadium uh, where. He and Weimer have their coming together in that like right uh, corner alley by the fence. And I think that was a catch that had saved the game at that point and a game that they would eventually lose, I think. But Sal pops up just um, 
so excited to make the play. Joey's mouth is a little bloodied as they run back to the dugout. But yeah, those type of exciting plays and moments um, and him just like being uh, Mickey Mantle whenever Adam Amin was calling a game for Fox was an, another thing that I come back to from this season. Um, so yeah, uh, Sal Freelich. Um, all right, next name on this list, Adam, goes back to me, a man who now calls Detroit home. Mark Canna, midseason acquisition, uh, got him from the New York Mets, came to Milwaukee and was an immediate upgrade in the lineup. A little outfield, a little first base, and uh, I think uh, primarily DH, or am I misremembering that he primarily played left field? I don't know. Uh, gave us one of the moments of the season with the big grand slam, uh, which turned into a game winner. I see, saw your eyebrow there. Uh, uh, we won't have to talk about where that landed in our rankings for moments this season. We don't need to worry about that. You're uh, reading it too Canna... much. I thought those my eyebrows weren't related to that. I'm not. I'm not wrong, Caddy. My eyebrows don't don't work overtime like that during podcasts. See, that's why. That's why GSBN has to be on video, and it's not as important for us because if you don't get Rohan's reactions, like, why well, are you even listening? That, well, that's that's <laughs> why Rohan is always on video. You know. We know what the people yeah. want and what maybe they don't want. They certainly want Rohan's face. We have faces for radio. Uh, uh, but can I come in? Uh, 204 plate appearances, 287 batting average, 373 OBP, 427 slug for an 800 OPS, 120 OPS plus, five homers as a brewer. Um, I went B plus because he was literally like exactly what we asked for and what we expected um, from a player of his caliber coming in i mean he's like not not a superstar by any means but just so reliable throughout his career um i'm actually gonna go a minus instead and that half bump is dedicated to someone that we like to have fun with the, the, the discord you know who you are shout it out if you're listening I think we gotta we gotta stop we gotta stop referencing these these people. Well, yeah, one person. I'm trying to dr- one person in particular. Trying to get. But... I'm trying to get Cubs fans in there. Um. What what was your grade? Uh, B plus, and then I fake bumped it up to A minus for the bit. <laughs> I'm I'm on B plus. He's not an A minus. It's just it's not not enough for the season. Um, but listen, I know the heart feels what the heart feels in your case yeah yeah, yeah. So. that's yeah it's just i i agree the playing time it's a b, it's a b plus the same reason i you know i had sal at b minus instead of b i think that the playing time matters whether it's the fault of no one that you know you're traded when you are or you're hurt when you're hurt but yeah b plus for me exactly um i'm, I'm with you on that he can't have delivered much more than he did coming over in the trade uh that time and with the what the Brewers need, I like I. I should probably walk back some of what I was saying about Tyrone Taylor because it applies even more to Marcana. It's like if Marcana wasn't doing what he did, the Brewers certainly aren't cruising to the division title in the way that they did with such great. Ease. Probably cruising for a bruising. If, if they that's... are very likely cruising for a bruising, um, they wouldn't have had the heavy artillery to be bruising anyone else. Is the the reality? It's. You know, Marcana and Carlos Santana, those two additions 
were they like were they completely eye popping? Was it constant fire for those guys? No, but did they give the Brewers exactly the right amount of what was needed to at least give themselves a chance to win a division and get to a place where you know they were favorites, believe it or not, to win a playoff series? You know, it can't be overlooked. Great signature moments. I think a guy we really, really like that doesn't factor into grades unless you're Andrew bumping it up into the A territory. Um, but I think just super, super consistent and like embraced it and delivered immediately. And from kind of day one, day two, he's a player. It didn't feel like there was any real like settling in period in terms of he was saying the right things. And he was going out there performing pretty quickly. And it just all seemed very seamless, which <laughs> makes it still somewhat like disappointing. I get it. I get it in various ways, but that he's in Detroit now because he brought a lot to the Brewers and it just seemed like a very, very strong fit on all sides. And that doesn't always necessarily happen. And they can be much more prudent with how they choose to spend their money. They certainly are at the moment, Andrew. They're being very, very prudent. Um, but yeah, there was something there that was working with Mark Canna that you may not just have with whatever alternative decisions ultimately are made. Yeah, we're about we're about two months from me relitigating my take from the original trade. Uh, that moves us on down to Jesse Winker, Adam. Uh, I guess this is you to lead off. Um. Where'd he go with Jesse Winker? Noted playoff at bat haver, Jesse Winker. Uh, I'm going to start with a question. Mm-hmm. Was well, was Jesse Winker, the Jesse Winker experience, was that Jesse Winker's fault? No, I think it's Jesse Winker's body's fault. And, you know... Injuries catch up with you, and you become a different player in a shell of yourself, and it happens, it happens. And I, I don't blame him, but he also was just very bad, other than the clutch hits, which uh, there's a good Foolish Baseball video about. I like, I'm not, I'm not going to give him an F. No, me neither. I'm going to give him a D minus, though. <laughs> I just, I think F just sounds, sounds a little ruder for, like, he's not Matt Bush. You know, Matt Bush deserves rude. Um, Jesse Winker, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what a lot of people were thinking. Um, I, I saw the vision, like, we both actually liked the signing. We're like, this works out great. It's definitely something they could do it. But when you look at the overall journey throughout the season and then of when it clearly wasn't working out and the fact they actually went back to that well, like that doesn't make any Brewers fan feel great when they hear Jesse Winker's name. But it also wasn't Jesse Winker's fault. I we talked about that quite a lot at the time. I don't I don't know what the Brewers were thinking. If if Jesse Winker was, you know, the guy you trusted most or the guy you needed, he should have been getting big league reps and they should have had him more involved. And then you know what, maybe he would have found something and there would have been a better chance of him performing. But how he was ultimately managed between front office and the manager kind of like the mind boggles of what was going on there. I know that's what set so many people on. Oh, Craig was Craig was making a point. 
by being like, this is what I've got to deal with. This is what I got to work with. Jesse Winker is the best option I have. I mean, by my opinion on that would be pretty consistent too. I don't necessarily buy that. I think it's that's giving way too much credit to Craig Council's brain, like to imagine it glowing like that and making that decision. Where in fact, you know, he may have just made an absolutely terrible decision as a manager. There's I mean, just ham- there's just ham- hamsters and wheels in there, Adam. But continue. I I do. I think that's kind of. Maybe people have changed their tone on that now too. That was something people at the time was like, oh, Craig was doing this. It was like, it's for the greater good. It's like, this is what I've got to work with, Mark. Where now, we're going to have another conversation. Again, they might just be like, oh, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. What a dumb decision by that Chicago Cubs manager. <laughs> we get to have that conversation with Brian Anderson in a week, Adam. Uh, same thing. The mind games between Matt Arnold and Craig Castle over fringe roster players. Uh, man, Twitter can be a Crazy place sometimes. Fun fact, Adam, I'm at D minus too. I don't I'm not gonna fight you on that. Uh, you know, the clutch hits were nice. We the the weird golf swing thing we saw in Milwaukee, that was cool. Uh is some of the patience down to the fact that he knew uh that if he swung and connected, he wasn't really gonna drive the ball consistency or consistently. Maybe. Uh, I did get to see his one homer. Uh so that that was a thing that happened. Um Fun fact, Adam, uh, between uh, 200, excuse me, 50 plate appearances in Seattle and uh, Los Angeles, Colton Wong, a 47 OPS plus, Jesse Winker in 197 plate appearances with Milwaukee, a 60 OPS plus. What a trade, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody's happy. Uh, Colton Wong actually had a nice uh, 20-game sample with the Dodgers sitting out the year, but God, what terrible years for everyone involved in that trade, except I guess Abraham Toro, who performed pretty well in Nashville, but did not really have an MLB role. Uh, where does that bring us next on this list? Um, Blake Perkins, Adam's favorite player, uh, six seventy five OPS, a guy that we did not really expect to factor into the outfield mix. Actually, um. Graded out as really well metrically as a defender. Not really much to write home about it at the plate other than, you know, posted a decent uh, on-base percentage at 325. Uh, perfect terrible, as, like, the Terrible, last... sorry, sorry to get This is Blake Perkins just brings this out of me to interrupt you. But a terrible base runner. Just have to get that in there. Terrible base runner. Um, But, yeah, uh, perfect, like, last outfielder on your bench. Uh, I had a C for Blake Perkins. I I don't know if I would call him a perfect uh, last outfielder. Well, you know what I mean. I would, like I would much rather if someone starter. else was the last outfielder on the bench. Um, I'm going with a C minus, which I just feel like you know, I have to, I have to. I just I don't I don't like his game. I don't like watching. Him. I don't think he's good. I, I think he's such a liability defensively. You talk about his on base percentage. But he's not though. Like or, sorry, off, sorry, offensively. Okay, okay, offensively. Okay, okay, cool. Cool. Um you talk about his on base percentage, but there could be a bit of smoke and mirrors there. In a in again the way where I'm just I'm suspicious of Andrew Monasterio. I d- there's not a whole lot about what Blake Perkins. I'm much more suspicious of Blake Perkins. There's not a whole lot of what he does offensively that I'm like, oh well, 
that should net out good results and there's even kind of respectability waiting for him in another season. I I just don't see it at all. Um yeah, he did make good defensive plays. I was that was a mistake. I misspoke. I'm not I'm not coming out to trash his defense. Adam, I misspeak every podcast. It's fine. But yeah, C minus. I don't he's not so phenomenal a defender particularly given like what his opportunity was in the moments he was in. It's like, oh, the numbers are great. It's like, yeah, he, how many games did he play in? How many at-bats did he have? Like, this is a guy who's very much on the fringes. It's like, it's it's not something that is really worth valuing to an excessive extent. I, I place much more value on, for example, Joey Weimer's defense than I do on Blake Perkins because Joey Weimer had to play basically all season. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I, I don't, he may well be on the team again this year. He probably will. Uh, I don't see the point in it. Hmm. I'm, oof. I hope he's not. Uh, I mean, we've got, we've got a pretty good outfield mix. If, uh, if they don't trade one of the prospects, which we don't think they will now that Tyron Taylor's gone, Yelich, Chorio, Freelich. Mitchell Weimer all on the roster, one of the guys at Nashville. Like, how do we think that shakes out? Do you think Blake Perkins is back? Do you think they do it just as a bit to torment you? See, it's hard. It's hard to know like what Pat Murphy thinks and where he's his thoughts are going to weigh into that too. Like, is Weimer a guy that organizationally? And again, this might just feed into the earlier conversations of it's like they haven't set their course because they're still kind of standing around, like being like, oh, maybe someone will. Make a make a phone call that will get our our off season kicked off soon. It's like, do we see Joey Weimer in Nashville starting a, starting the season, or are they like, I I just I don't see the value in that person. Where we're at, I think it would be silly if Blake Perkins is in the big leagues and Joey Weimer's in Nashville, but it's very hard to know on that. Yeah, and I think as I say it now. Um... I think the biggest thing about that is whichever guy of that young outfield core isn't going to factor into the mix starting and getting regular bats at the big league level, you probably want in Nashville getting at bats. And as you said, the most likely candidate for that is probably Weimer figuring out a swing change. But yeah, every conversation we have looking forward is like, well, the like we know where we have to get to but you haven't given us the map yet. <laughs> so we don't know how to get there. Um, that was everybody, I think, with qualifying at bats for this exercise. Um, Garrett Mitchell, just 65 at bats. Um, obviously had that monster series against the Mets to start the year. Um, I think it was a three-homer series and a walk-off, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and then we had uh, Rymel Tapia who had a brief spell with the Brewers, 52 at-bats, just hit a walk-off single in a lead-home game uh, in the Dominican last night. So, old friend watch, Rymel Tapia, spent time with the Red Sox, the Brewers, and the Rays. I got to see him in Durham a few times. So, um, yeah, that that is what it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Mitchell, I think a guy who uh, we're still holding out hope for. I will get to see him in about a week the whatever name of the theater it is that they're holding uh winter warm-up at you think you'll uh, faint last time i was there see garrett mitchell 
Did you get too close? My seats, my seats are in like the middle section oh, okay. because That's I was okay. worried. I was worried about that, and you know, <laughs> I don't want. Yeah, I don't want uh, my wife or the friend of the podcast that I'm going with to like have to catch me as I'm oh. like falling backwards. Honestly, even you, maybe it's your wife you should be more concerned about. Maybe she'd faint. She sees Garrett Mitchell. Uh, maybe we'll both faint, and then we'll both get concussed, and we'll have to spend the rest of the Milwaukee trip uh, at a local ER getting checked out. It's very possible. Uh, yeah, I I look forward to a full Garrett Mitchell season, and I hope he's good. It seems like an unbelievably simplistic thing to say, but it's we got a nice strong finish when he was called up as a rookie, and then we got some really exciting moments to start last season and then a major injury and a lot of time out. So let's hope it all just still looks good because he was kind of the guy who was, I guess, booking a lot of the trends or maybe out of this kind of group of prospects. He was the one who was outperforming and maybe reaching a level. You're like, oh, well, this guy is going to be better than probably people possibly expected. Let's hope the injury hasn't derailed that. Um, Rymel Tapia? Yeah, I'm good with not seeing Rymel Tapia again. Still a free agent out there if anyone's interested. Him and a whole bunch of other guys, as we talked about. There's no shortage of free agents. Maybe, like, this has happened a few times, I think, but, like, maybe us putting out this podcast with all these takes about, you know, the nature of free agency and how do you you know, kind of solve this problem of the slow trickle and the depressed market and, you know, possible collusion between owners or whatever it may be. Maybe like five signings will happen to round out this day. My birthday's tomorrow, Adam. Maybe I'll get a Reese Hoskins under my birthday tree. Is that a thing? Anyway. Um yeah, maybe we've spoken things into existence. You getting a Reese Hoskins under your birthday tree is just an image that came fully formed in my mind there. And I don't know what I'll do with that. But I listen, I, I hope you do, Andrew. If Reese Hoskins signs on my birthday, I'll buy a jersey immediately. I have no impulse control. If if Reese Hoskins signs not on your birthday, you'll also possibly buy a jersey immediately. So um We need homers, Adam. I want the homers. <laughs> we sure do. All right. That does it for this episode. Next time out on Lester's some news that's so groundbreaking and requires such extensive conversation that we we change up our plans and devote a whole episode to that. You know, not trying to will that into existence at all. Um, we will do our infield grades. And if it's just minor news or no news at all, I guess we'll we'll bump that in there with it. But that's not to undersell it. That's not to make it sound like infield grades aren't exciting. We are getting closer and closer by the day to spring training, to the start of the season, and going on this journey all over again with the Brewers. To make sure you don't miss a step along the way in 2024, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It's cruising for a bruising. You should also be subscribed to the rest of the GSBM podcasts. That's the Eurostep Podcast Network for all things Milwaukee books. Time with Shamaro Akadi host the Eurostep. Myself and Jordan Tresky host Win and Six, all on that one feed. Um, the most recent Win and Six, I think it's still the most recent episode on the feed. No, I've just been pipped for that. Um, but go I was laughing at anyway. something else. Sorry, but I I think it may not be now, or if not, it won't be soon. Um, 
Jordan and I talked about Herb Cole, the late Herb Cole, and talked extensively on his legacy. That's to be found on the Eurostep Podcast Network feed. The Packers, it's it's do or die time for the Green Bay Packers. Talking to Tundra, Numac and Jordan have you covered. Subscribe, never miss an episode. Get locked in and ready for the weekend. Jordan Love coming off that Pro Bowl snub. We'll win and in. Get the Packers to the playoffs. Put it in the rear view mirror. I make time for this. If you want to listen to Andrew and I talk even more, talk movies, mostly movies, sometimes other things, other sports, TV, music, that sort of stuff, make sure you subscribe. All right, as always, thanks all you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com